Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, it's so good to welcome you to today's broadcast. I'm glad that you've tuned in and uh, I trust you've enjoyed the worship and the lead so far. We're excited by what God is doing amongst us. And uh, it was so great to see uh, numbers of people come out to our two locations in Ilkeston and Mansfield to receive your gift of uh, the, the, the Book of Blessing uh, by Mark Batterson. And also for kids, you got your gifts and students, you got your gifts and It's just a way of saying thank you from the leadership, those who've been faithful and committed and consistent uh, in the life of the church. And we just love and appreciate you. If you're from the other locations, don't worry, you've not had your book yet. They will be being passed through to you. But let's give a big shout out. Come on. We are one church in seven, seven locations. I'm not saying loser. Okay, seven locations. So come on, a big shout out to Belper and now to Ilkeston. Come on, The Hub. We love to hear from you. Wonderful. And now we're going to Mansfield. Wonderful Mansfield. And to Nottingham. And we've also not got another group online. This is your church. You're not just filling in the space. We believe that you are part of us. We're so glad you're part of our family. And now, last but not least, to Toulouse. Wonderful what God is doing amongst us. And we want you to know, we're still full of vision as a leadership. We, we are just pumped by what God is saying to us and showing us and uh, the investments that we want to pour in this M1 and beyond, M1 corridor and beyond. And can I say, we're leaving for a mighty revival to come in this day and in this time. Some of you like my funny stories, some of you don't. Some of you go, uh-uh, some of you go, woo. And this is for those who go, woo, these are just for you. These are real life church notices and bulletins. Some churches still do this. They have on the outside a notice or a bulletin sheet as you come in. And these are just some that uh, are absolutely real life. This is what it says. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. (laughs) Okay, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. And don't forget your husbands. (laughs) Come on, ladies, that's a good one. Okay, Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. <laughs> Sorry, this is my personal favourite. Bertha Belch, this is true, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist Church. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. Wow! <laughs> and then, I love this one, the associate minister unveiled the church's new Tithing campaign slogan last Sunday. I upped my pledge. Up yours, okay? (laughs) Are we ready for the word? I certainly am after those dodgy, dodgy bulletin notices. We're in a series, a summer series uh, called The Power of Parables. And parables, Jesus used stories, illustrations to grab the attention, to excite the curiosity and to, to unveil deep spiritual truths so people could understand. And it's been a joy to be able to partner with Phil Pye, our teaching pastor, and Josh Turner, our uh, campus pastor at Mansfield, in delivering this series over this summer. And it's my joy to look at the parable of 10 bridesmaids or 10 virgins or 10 maidens. And we'll go there in a moment. 
But before I go there, in recent years, I've noticed there's a bit of a trend in Hollywood. They're, they're very transfixed by end of time movies. If you loved going to the movies and watching videos and DVDs and Sky Cinema, you'll notice, you know, there's a film called Apocalypse. There was World War Z told me about, somebody told me about, left behind all films depicting the coming of the end times. And the best way we can understand, because there's a lot of sensationalization of end times teaching, there's a bit of a lot of extremes, And if you've been party to that, heard that, I'm not going to do that today. So please stay with me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to take this parable and the teachings of Jesus and underscore a very, very important principle. I'm going to try and do it without emotion. But I have to say I've been very emotional as I've prepared this because there's a sobering call at the end that I want you to stay with. If you're tempted to switch off midway through, don't. It's worth 30 minutes of your life to hear what I've got to say to you today. Because in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, Jesus has lived his life. He's he's, he's coming to the end of his ministry. He's coming to the point where he's going to die upon the cross to carry the sins of the world. The, The Bible records that they laid him in a tomb. The tomb could not hold him down. He rose from the grave and he ascended to his father in heaven. But Jesus said that what will have to after those events is I'm going to come back again. And Jesus is preparing the listeners and helping them to understand what will happen. Because the disciples asked him this simple question, what supernatural sign should we expect to signal you're coming? And Jesus said, there's not just a sign, there are numbers of signs. And he lists them in Matthew 24. He said, the deception will be rampant. Beware, you're not fooled. He says there'll be wars and revolutions. There'll be nations that war against one another. There'll be terrible natural events of epic proportions. The people of God will be persecuted and many will stop following and will fall away due to offence. We've got to make sure we don't have offence in our heart. It's not an occupant of Arena Church. We do not live offended. He also said that there'll be a, a, a rising of lying prophets. They'll, they'll, they'll teach people what they want to hear. And they won't teach truth. And there'll be an increase of sin and lawlessness. Now let me tell you, from the first century to the 21st century, these have all been happening at different levels, but they've all been happening. So we've always been in, in, this, in this season, really, of when the Lord is going to come back. And what I find interesting is there's been many predictions of when He's going to come back again. People have tried to predict it. And Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus is quite, quite clear. He says, concerning the day and hour, No one knows when it will arrive. Not even the angels of heaven. Only the Father knows. So let me tell you, first thing. If anybody says, I know when it is, they're a liar. They don't know. Do not believe them. And then he goes on to say in verse 44, which is really important, when we talk about end times, and this is what Jesus is trying to say to us. He's saying, but I want you. Look, read it together. Matthew 24, verse 44. It's a very important verse. So always be ready. Be alert. I'm prepared because at an hour when you're not expecting him, Jesus will come. Jesus is coming back again. And at a day, a time, and if we're not ready, if we're not alert and we're not prepared, he will come. And Jesus in this passage is helping people to understand that he's coming back again, but then he shifts gear because the parable of the 10 virgins or the 10 maidens 
goes from worldwide signs to individual assurance or an individual response. So let's read it together, shall we, from verse one. Jesus says, at the time when my coming draws near, heaven's kingdom realm can be compared to 10 maidens who took their oil lamps and went outside to meet the bridegroom and his bride. Five of them were foolish and ill-prepared for they took no extra oil for their lamps. Five of them were wise and sensible. They took flasks of olive oil with their lamps. And when the bridegroom didn't come when they expected, they all grew drowsy and fell asleep. Then suddenly, in the middle of the night, they were awakened by the shout, a herald shouting, get up, the bridegroom is here. Come out and have an encounter with him. So all the girls got up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones were running out of oil. So they said to the five wise ones, share your oil with us because our lamps are going out. We can't really, replied. We don't have enough for all of us. You'll have to go and buy some for yourselves. And while the five girls were out buying oil, the bridegroom appeared. And those who were ready and waiting were escorted inside with him and the wedding party to enjoy the feast. And then the doors were locked. And later the five foolish girls came running up to the door and pleaded, Lord, Lord, let us come in. But he called back, go away. Do I know you? I can assure you, I don't even know you. And that is the reason you should always stay awake and alert, alert because you don't know the day or hour when the bridegroom will appear. Now, just for those who are listening in, let me be clear. Let me tell you who the people are. The bridegroom is Jesus, speaking of himself. And the, and the virgins could be represented, the maidens, the bridesmaids could be represented of us as people. That's what it's about. So have you got that? That's very important. Now, I've been preaching for about regularly for about 28 years, but I've never preached from this passage. But in recent days and weeks and months, I've been very impacted by the importance of this passage. There are many important applications, principles that we could take, but I want to really narrow it down to three imperatives that demand a personal response. And let me tell you, as I've already said, I'm not looking to be sensational. I'm not looking to be out there. I'm not looking to try and be hell and damnation. I want you to just understand I'm speaking from a, from a heart of love and compassion. But there's three things, and we say ABC is simple, elementary. So there are three simple ABCs that I want to give you. First of all, A, get ready. Get ready. He used the imagery of an Eastern wedding. And it would have been a regular occurrence, much like we have today. If it hadn't been for COVID season, there would have been weddings happening all over the, all over the, the summer season and all over the year. It's been very sad that people haven't been able to do what they wanted to do. And it's a big deal, much like ours. Everybody gets ready. Much is made of the bride and much is made of the groom. In fact, sometimes more of the groom. They go and do the Turkish barbers and, you know, do all the things that they do. I don't get it. But anyway, um, the grooming, they call it. That's right, grooming. I mean, hair grooming and all the rest of it. And then there's the bridesmaids. The bridesmaids and the, the bride look beautiful and they get themselves ready. There's lots of preparation and this would have been the case in this story. People would have understood it like we do. And they've come together to prepare and purify themselves in readiness for the day. And oftentimes the, the, the bride and the bridesmaid would just spend the night together. So they're up early in the morning to get ready, much like this story. 
Now, we need to assume that these 10 knew one another, but five of them had a blatant disregard for preparing a fundamental consideration of oil for their lamps. Now, let me just help you understand this because it's really important, particularly the younger element. Electricity costs money. It doesn't just appear. <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad used to be so saying, turn the lights off. And I used to think, oh, it's just switch the light on electricity appears. But in this day, when Jesus is telling the story, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have cabling. They didn't have batteries. They didn't have generators. They didn't have mobile phones. They didn't have street lamps. They needed oil for their lamps. It got very dark. So they needed oil for their lamps. And this story is a test of readiness and preparation. Remember, A, get ready. Number 10 in the Bible is a number of tests. How many plagues were there? 10. How many commandments are there? 10. Tithing speaks of 10th. It's a test. And now, 10 bridesmaids. It was a test for the 10 bridesmaids, but Jesus tells the story that only five were actually ready. Now, excuse the personal illustration for a moment, and I could be in a lot of trouble, but I grew up with a house. There's me and my son, Isaac, and then there was also four ladies. My wife, Caroline, and three girls, beautiful girls. But at the moment, there's just the uh, three girls in the house because... One of them's married. But it's been a constant message of my life, an anthem that I bellow. Can you please get ready? Come on, get ready. We've got to be out in a minute. I'm revving the car to try and get them out the door, particularly when it's on a Sunday. Can I get a witness from any male? Yes, I can. I'm not looking at Caroline at the moment. She's looking at me really. Now, Caroline has reminded me, it takes a lot longer for ladies to get ready as they have more to do. And that's true. I don't know why, because you ladies are beautiful and us men aren't. But I get that you have a little bit more to do. And it really has been a test of patience for me over the years. But we have to get ready. And this parable teaches the importance of preparedness. Now, let me just use another illustration. It'd be ridiculous. We're now out of COVID. We can travel wherever we want. We say we're going to go to a long distance destination. We're just going to go and do it. It'd be ridiculous. What you would do is you would book the flights. You would, you would make sure you've got your medical insurance. You'd get your credit cards. You know, you'd, you'd get your ticket. You'd get your passport ready. You'd book the airport. You'd set the alarm for early in the morning. Yes, yes, yes. Because it's called preparedness. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Have you got it? These five unwise, foolish virgins were not preparing something that was fundamental in the day in which they live. One commentator, when reading about this passage, puts it this way. He doesn't just say they were foolish. He says they, they were careless, not forward-looking. And they were guilty of inexcusable and senseless neglect. They were short-sighted and thoughtless. Why? Because they took no extra oil and it was simply stupid. It really was. But let's contextualise that to today because we're not dealing with oil and lamps. But what Jesus is addressing here is our lives. 
He's, just, he's addressing the fact that they were just living for that moment. They weren't look at, looking ahead. The, the, the foolish virgins weren't looking ahead. They weren't prepared. They weren't getting themselves ready. And that's much like people around my world. I have a lot of conversations with people who say, I'm going to live for today. You've only got one life. I'm going to live it. I'm going to run hard. I'm going to live hard. I'm going to live for pleasure and fun. And they say to themselves, well, we'll sort that death stuff out and eternity stuff out later in the day. Like these um, foolish uh, maidens, we'll get it tomorrow, next week, next year. And that kind of approach is a hedonistic approach. Uh, hedonism, social commentators say, is the pursuit of pleasure and sensual self-indulgence, selfishness, thinking only of today. The hedonists, like so many, are driven by lust, not love, illicit sex, not deep, deep intimacy, temptation and not temperance. And they're driven by carelessness, not careful consideration. And according to this parable and other verses that Jesus taught, he was saying to them, listen, my return will be sudden, visible and audible. And you've got to get yourself ready. But just one final point before we go to B, because it's in the text. Because you may argue, well, surely the, 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 the ones who got oil should have shared it with them. But this is the point. You can't transfer preparedness. You've got to prepare yourself. The wise maidens were not able to transfer the oil because they, were saying, they said to them, if we give to you, we may run out ourselves. They weren't being selfish. They weren't being difficult. They weren't being obstinate. They were being wise because they too could have run out. And this applies to you because some of you are saying, well, I'll be okay because my mum's a Christian. My dad's a Christian. My granddad was a vicar. I've been in Sunday school, but I'm living my life. I want to live it. Let me tell you. You've got to make sure you're ready now. And these five maidens had no oil. And then verse six, suddenly in the night, they were wakened by a herald who shouted, get up, the bridegroom is here. Come out and have an encounter with him. And I want to tell you again, I want to keep saying this, the time is coming when Jesus will return. And B, is that we should live our lives, live your life in light of his return. Live your life in light of his return. We've got to get ourselves ready, but we've got to live our lives in light of his return. And he says in verse four about the five maidens, they prepared with plenty, full supply of oil. These wise maidens, they got their lives and prioritized, their lives prioritized right. Their priorities were spot on. I wonder if I ask you the question today, what are your priorities? What are you prioritizing? Some people say, well, me first, job second, material possessions third, family fourth, and then God fifth. Let me tell you, that list is shocking. And some people don't even take number five, God. Some people actually live their lives like this, me first, possession second, you know, job third, family fourth, family are right at the bottom. We've got to understand what are our priorities. These wise ladies had a priority. They made sure that they were ready. And listen to me, desires dictate our priorities. Priorities shape our choices and choices determine our actions. 
And I implore you today to consider what Jesus, Jesus pointed us towards because he was forever teaching when he was with the listeners, the common people, he was saying to them, listen, love God with everything. Seek him first. Worship God only. Let that be your priority. Live your life in light of my return. Because as we do so, this affects the way that we live, we work, we spend, we interact with one another. It affects our desires, our choices, our ambitions, our directions and our focus. Let me give you an example of this very quickly. There could be one person who has no thought. Everybody say no thought for eternity. And so they have a short burst of pleasures. They roam from partner to partner, from job to job. They say life is meant to be lived hard, run fast, enjoy the moment. They enjoy the wealth, the cars, the houses, the clothes. Now compared to the priority of the one who says, I'm going to live in light of his return. And they build a life of purpose and joy and love for God and love for others. They enjoy the love and they enjoy the pleasures of life. They enjoy their spouse, they enjoy their children and they're generous to the needs of others. Their life is filled with sweet joy and love and they enjoy all the good things that are in life, seeing them as blessings and gifts from God. Now let me shift gear for a moment because I come from a business background so I like this analogy. What about now a man who's a businessman or woman who they have no thought for eternity and they say, I'm going to build a business just to make money. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to show off my wealth and my status. I'm going to retire early. I'm going to live a life of luxury. I'm going to have all I want, when I want it, how I want it and I'm going to pleasure and indulge myself all I want through my business. Now compare that to a man who lives in light of eternity, a businessman or woman. And they say, I'm going to build a business to help provide for my family. Yes, yeah, sure, I'm going to take care of my future, but I'm also going to invest in my location. I'm going to provide jobs and opportunities for others. And I'm going to provide for those needs of people who are marginalised and disadvantaged. What are the differences with these illustrations, priority. The difference is priority. I remember going through time management training and they use this analogy, if you've ever seen it before, they talk about urgent, non-urgent, unimportant yeah, and important. And we taught to live out of importance and urgency and eradicate the non-urgent and unimportant from our lives. But I wanna drive this point further, please. Listen carefully. Most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. I'll say that again. Most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. The key is what is important. What is important to you? On the screen now, there's going to become a question here. I live for fill in the blank. I live for fill in the blank. Because this will tell me your priority. Now, before we go to point C of elementary, I want to just say to you, the, the, it's interesting that Jesus uses the story of an oil and lamps. And of course, oil is a representation of God himself, God the Spirit. God has been, the Spirit has been described in many different ways, oil, breath. And what he's basically saying here, listen, you need to make sure your lamp, your body is filled with oil. 
of the Holy Spirit because we know that once we have oil, we will get somewhere because without oil, engines seize, gears jam and progression becomes regression. Can I encourage those who are on the broadcast today who are Christians to keep gathering, to stay in the Word, to keep worshipping, to keep loving God, to keep being generous to the poor and to fill your life with oil. It's so important. We don't say, oh, I'll come to this one, I'll miss the next two online and I'll do a catch up or I'll do two and then I'll miss five. Listen, it's important that we gather. It's important that we fill ourselves with oil. And Jesus said, to two people, two sisters, who we knew very well, Mary and Martha, in the Gospels. Martha was, you know, preparing a meal and busy preparing and getting all flustered. And Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was really, really uptight now with her sister, saying, I can't believe she's done that. Look at all that I'm doing, Jesus, all for you. And Jesus says this to Martha. He says, Martha, Mary's chosen the most important thing. He was saying, Mary's got her priorities right to fill her lamp with oil, to sit at my feet. We need to live in light of his his return. But thirdly, and as I draw it to a close, the story becomes the reality. I've got to just try and hold myself together in this point because I feel the deep, pain and pathos of this, of this point. I don't know whether you've ever dreamt like it was real only to awaken. Such relief. Wow, it's not real. That, that chase, that loss, that death that you've dreamed about, that fear is gone as you have awakened. But listen to me, this, this story becomes the reality because it was just a story, it was a parable. But now just Jesus flicks a gear into a reality and watches language in the, in, the, in, the, in the passage because it becomes a nightmare reality for the five foolish maidens. This is for real. This is the pivotal part of the story. This is the cliffhanger moment of all moments because they weren't ready. The five foolish maidens were simply not ready. And they had to dash to the store to get some oil before they could get to the wedding venue. And verse 11 records, they came running and pleading, Lord, Lord, let us come in. But he yelled back, go away. Do I know you? I can assure you, I don't even know you. And this know you means to have a deep intimacy. It doesn't mean a casual passing by. I've heard people say, oh, my good friend. They're not good friends. Oh, my friends. They're not friends. They're just people that you know of. This language here is talking about, I do not know you intimately. I can't recognise you. We've had no deep interaction. Now, you might be here, one of them on the broadcast, who's saying, I've got it, now I've got it. It's true. All that I've heard is true. God is an unjust God. He's an uncaring God. He's not care care about people. Because if He really was loving and faithful and caring, He'd let everybody in. But I want to tell you, He's a master of grace and forgiveness. But listen carefully. He's also a righteous and just judge. He is full of grace and truth and he will actively pursue you to your final breath or to the moment he appears. I believe that with all my heart. People who've been on the deathbeds, Jesus has come close. 
and appeared to them and, and, and wooing them. And we just do not know in those final moments what people are making in their responses of their heart. But once you have breathed your last breath or a nanosecond after he returns, listen to me, there are no more chances. The truth is there will be a day of reckoning for the human race. No games, no free passes. These five foolish maidens, they had known what they needed to do. And you're here on the broadcast and you just know what you need to do, but you're not doing it. I implore you to do what you need to do because the time will come when getting ready will no longer be possible and the door will be shut. And as I said, this part of the story could seem harsh and inconsiderate and unloving, but it wasn't because they knew what they needed to do. Can I ask you a question? How many times has Jesus knocked on the door of your heart? How many coincidences do you need? How many signs do you need? How many times must you collide with God and his word before responding? The story becomes a reality. And this story, like many others, is filled with such deep pathos. Pathos is a deep sense of tragedy and sadness because of the irrevocable final destination of the five foolish maidens. They are locked outside of the feast. They are locked outside of the presence of God forever. Now you may say, do you really believe in that heaven and hell thing? I do. There are only three possible, when we narrow it down, three possible things that people have said that could happen with regard to the afterlife. Firstly, nothingness. We just cease to exist. And I want to tell you, it takes more faith to believe that than what I believe. Because I do not believe that nothing can create something. I know that God, our Father, the creator of heaven and earth, the master of the universe has created all this through the power of his word. But that's what they believe, nothingness. Secondly, reincarnation. If you've done good on earth, you'll become something good in the afterlife. I don't believe that. Eastern religions, I don't believe that. And there's again, no evidence to that. But what I do believe is eternity, an eternal destination. And Bible, art and literature has depicted this over centuries. This is in essence where our spirits, who we are, depart once we die. This body fades away. It becomes ashes, it becomes dust, but our spirits go to another place, an afterlife. And there are two possible destinations, hell, a place where Satan and the accuser lives, or heaven, a place where God lives. But let me tell you, heaven and hell are forever. Hell is a place of eternal torment. Joshua, two weeks ago, shared a message from the parable of the talents and he said they were cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a place of forever. It's not a place of parties. It's not a place of hedonism. It's not a place where I can just enjoy myself like some I've heard some say, I wanna go there because that's what I'm gonna be doing. You won't. It's eternal torment. It's indescribable. And there's a place called heaven. And by the way, Jesus taught about heaven so much in the scriptures. There's so many descriptions of heaven. It's a beautiful place where God is. And by the way, no, it's not a place where we're going to float on clouds with harps. I'm not in for that either. It's a place where we'll eat and we'll drink and we'll socialise and we'll enjoy and we'll do sports and we'll work. 
but it's, it's a perfect place without sin, without brokenness, without evil, without disease, without seeing the pain of loved ones, what they have to go through. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. And it's where God dwells in all of his fullness. And this is why Jesus came to earth because the heart of God is he didn't want to be separated from mankind. He wanted to, wanted to live with us forever. And our destination is not determined by performance, but by the revelation and acceptance of Jesus. I just want to implore you to put your trust in Jesus. Randy Alcorn, a best-selling author, said this, the best of life on earth, listen to me carefully to this quote, the best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. For unbelievers, it is the closest they will come to heaven. And you choose where you end up living. I want you to ask you again on the screen now. There's two words coming up and I want you to fill in the blank. I choose. You fill in the blank. And you simply determine your destination by who you will put your trust in. By getting yourself ready. By living in light of his coming. And embracing this story. Because it becomes a reality. You may say, Christian, how do I put my trust in Jesus? It's simply in this moment to just cry out to him. Just say, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. I put my trust in you. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm going to live for you. And if you will do that, and if you will take the words of an Old Testament leader by the name of Joshua, in Joshua 24, verse 15, he says, For as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. If you will in this moment say, I'm going to serve the Lord, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Just all bow your heads where you are. Father, thank you for your holy presence. Oh, I sense your presence. You're wonderful. I thank you for your love and your compassion towards mankind by sending Jesus and I ask, Lord, that you would reach into every heart. I pray that people will put their trust in you in this moment. I pray that people will give their lives to you. I pray that people would surrender to you. And Lord, as people ask you for forgiveness, come and forgive them. Come and cleanse them. Make them brand new. Listen, if you've prayed that prayer this morning, if you've prayed that prayer this afternoon, if you've prayed that prayer this evening, I want to tell you, God has heard that prayer. And he is responding in this moment. But I want to encourage you to not just say, well, I've done it now and that's it. I'm going to live my life. No, you've got to live the way of God. You've got to take the teachings of God. We can help you with that. Just click on the screen now. I've raised my hand. Just click on it now. And in that moment, a host can connect with you and can help you or email us. We want to help you on the journey. The reason why we do these broadcasts is because we want to help people to get ready. We want to help people to live their life in life of eternity. We want to help people to live lives unto God. So be blessed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to tell you today, guys, I love you. I felt the emotion of this message. Please excuse my emotion. But I love you. 
I'm praying for you. And I really do believe in you. God bless you.